so the first passage today is from uh, Romans chapter 15 verses 20 to 21 um, which is on page 1765 of your pew Bibles it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation rather as it is written those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand and the second reading can be found on page 1514 um, and it's Matthew chapter 9 uh, verses 35 to 38 Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness when he saw the crowds he had compassion on them because they were like they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd then he said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Thanks, Ellie. And thank you, Katie, so much for uh, filling us in on the work of CMS. And thanks, Simon, for um, bringing the Roe family uh, kind of with fresh insight for us this morning. I've just got a shorter ser sermon to share with you this morning, some thoughts and some ideas about how we as a church might consider our mission and our role in the world. I've been thinking a, a lot about ambition over the last couple of weeks. Ambition's a funny thing, isn't it? For some of us, ambition kind of flows through our veins in a way, um, and we might always feel like we're on the cusp of being told by people, perhaps not always nicely, that we're aiming too high or that we're overly ambitious. And yet, on the other hand, some of us, the opposite might be true. Uh, perhaps you remember getting a report card at school that said something like, lacks ambition. I don't know, is that part of your experience as a school kid or not? I wonder what your ambition is today. Perhaps you've got your eye on a team leader role at work. Maybe it's to pass that next set of barrier exams. Or maybe your ambition is more kind of tied to your children. Perhaps you really are hoping and wanting them to get into that sports team that they've been trying out for or to get through that next music audition. They all seem like pretty normal things for us to desire as people in this world, don't they? Some of us might even have more adventurous ambitions. Perhaps you're dreaming of running a marathon. I know there's a few of us here, not me, um, but a few of us here. Maybe you've been dreaming of or wanting to walk the Heisen Trail, or maybe you're going to the next level and you want to climb Mount Everest. For me this week, I've been kind of thinking through this, and I've been getting a bit blurry, I think, between the idea of dreams and ambitions. See, I'd love to restore a combi van or build a sailing boat, but I suspect these are more kind of dreams than they are real ambitions for me in my life. So what's your ambition? Before you kind of slip into thinking about tropical beaches with pina coladas, those sorts of things, let me just ask this question in a slightly different way. Does knowing Jesus color or shape your ambition? Is your faith shaping what you want or what you desire? 
Because I think there's probably nothing wrong, is there, with pursuing a new role at work or trying out for sports teams and those sorts of things. But surely if we know Jesus as our Lord, surely that will shape our ambitions. I wonder today what you think our ambition for our church should be. Because ambitions don't just have to be individual, do they? Organizations or groups can also have a collective ambition. So what should our ambition as Trinity Church only be? You might have an answer to that already, and if you do, I'd encourage you, please jot it down on the communication slip. I'd love to talk with you about that more. You can put those slips in the everything box, and you'll find those on your leaflet. What should our ambition as a church be? Well, I'd like you to come with me to our first reading, Romans chapter 15, verse 20. You'll find that right at the bottom of page 1765 of our Black Bibles. And I want us to have a look at these words together because I think in these two verses we see very clearly the ambition that the Apostle Paul had. In chapter 15, Paul has been defending his position as the Apostle to the Gentiles You might remember that Paul was the one set apart in the early days of the church to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to those who weren't Jewish. And then in verse 20 of Romans chapter 15, we read this. It has always been my ambition, Paul speaking here, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, Those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Paul's ambition is to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. I hope that as a church we would share in Paul's ambition. That is that we would have a desire for those who don't yet know Jesus to hear the good news of the gospel. I want you to notice that Paul makes this ambition because he's convinced that those that he preaches to, well, he's convinced that they'll understand. Can you see that there in verse 21? You might remember uh, this quote because we looked at it in Romans as well from when we looked at Isaiah chapter 52. See, there we see Isaiah painting the picture of the glory of the suffering servant, disfigured and marred beyond that of any human likeness, and yet many nations... And kings fall quiet at his sight. The people believe and understand. See, Paul's ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known is because he sees Jesus fulfilling this prophecy. And if that's Paul's concern, to preach where Jesus is not known, I think it follows that we as a church should also be concerned that the gospel will continue to be preached to those who don't know Jesus those who haven't heard it. And that's why, isn't it, as a church, we do things like partner with the Church Missionary Society and with people like Mike and Karen so that the gospel might be preached to those who don't know Christ. Mike and Karen, as we've heard this morning, are working hard to equip others that they might know Jesus and his grace for the first time. It's a good and worthwhile ambition for us to have as a church, isn't it? to partner with those like Mike and Karen who are preaching the gospel where Christ is not known. 
I think it's important for us not just to think of this as something that has to happen in the overseas mission field. But that's the only place where Jesus can be preached, where he's not known. If you ever dropped your kids off in the dining room out there, you might have seen the posters on the back wall of the dining room. They outline some research done by the McKindle Group. And speaking of Australia, they say that one person in 19 has never heard of Jesus. One person in 19. A month or so ago, we ran a year three to six uh, kids event at the RAF base in Mitcham. Uh, There were lots and lots of kids there in that age group. And they were sitting down, some of them reading the Bible together. And one of the kids asked very genuinely, who is Jesus? He'd never before heard of this person. Who is Jesus? What do you think our ambition as a church should be? I think it must include the proclamation of the good news of Jesus. It must include making and growing disciples of Jesus. That's why we have written on the sign out the front that says, we're a church that exists to make and grow disciples of Jesus. It's part of our ambition as a church. And so I wonder this morning how that sits with you. How does being a church that is ambitious in its evangelism goals, how does that fit with your own personal ambition? Because I kind of get it, I think. I understand the reality and the busyness of our lives hard enough, isn't it, to pursue that job promotion while getting your kids ready for their upcoming piano exams. It's hard to study in the evenings to open that new career pathway when you're already working in a busy job. So how does this ambition of reaching others with the good news of Jesus, how does that fit into your life? Well, I can't answer that question for each one of you. But what I want to do this morning is to show you the concern that Jesus has for those who don't know him. So come with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 9. Ellie read that passage to us before as well. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Matthew, as most of you will know, it's the first book in our New Testament. You'll find these uh, verses on page 1,514 of our Bibles. We've been working our way through much of Matthew's gospel over uh, the course of the year. And we're about to go back there next week as well. And as I read these verses out to you, I I want you to grab hold of two things this morning. The first is I'd love you to see the concern that Jesus has for the crowds, the everyday people who are there listening to his teaching. And the second thing I want you to see and remember is that the gospel really, really is good news. In fact, it's the best news we could ever hope for. That's what I want you to see as we read these verses. Let me read them to you. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Did you notice Jesus' attitude there in verse 36, the attitude he had towards the crowds? It's one of compassion, isn't it? Compassion because he sees them as harassed and helpless. I wonder if you see the crowds of people that make up Adelaide in the same sort of way. Probably not at first glance, right? 
If I scratch a little below the surface, then you probably find that most people are exhausted and weary, that they lack hope sometimes or perhaps assurance about what they're doing in this world. Jesus has compassion on the crowd. I think it's a challenge for us today to see the world in the same way that he sees it, to love our neighbors genuinely and to really, really care for them. The second thing I want you to notice is the gospel is good news. That Jesus is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And that kingdom is great news. So Jesus is kind of helping us see this by enacting the kingdom at this stage. He's healing every disease and sickness. I hope today that you and those that you love are well, but unfortunately that's not the case for all of us, is it? Many of us have one form of sickness or another. Perhaps someone who you know and love this morning is unwell. Well, here we see Jesus enacting the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. If you pick up Matthew's gospel and you're reading from the start to here, by this stage you will have already read about Jesus healing a blind man and a mute person. He's healed a paralyzed man. He's brought a dead girl back to life. And here we see Jesus healing every disease and sickness. It looks like there's no sickness at this point that's got Jesus stumped. The common cold, he can cure that. Cancer, cured. Skin problems, digestive issues, high blood pressure, cholesterol, whatever it is, he's got it covered. And he's got it covered because he's the king of the kingdom. That's good news, isn't it? In the kingdom of heaven, there will be no sickness. That kingdom's not physically here yet, but Jesus promised it would come. And here in Matthew's gospel, we see a a great foretaste of that. See, the gospel really is good news. I found this so helpful this week as I've just been reading through these verses and thinking about it. Helpful for my own ambitions, especially my evangelistic ambitions and my ambitions to proclaim the gospel to those who don't yet know Jesus. I'm motivated by knowing that it really is good news, the best news. It's so much easier for me to want to tell people about it. You see, I think too often I fall into the trap of seeing the gospel as being a bit like an insurance policy. One of the commentators I read this week pointed this out to me. I think it's very helpful. So we have our home and contents insurance at home, don't we? It might cost us a few hundred dollars a month. We have our car insurance cost us a little bit more money. Maybe we have life insurance and those sorts of things as well. And then sometimes I think we see the gospel as our eternal life insurance. The cost of that insurance is turning up to church three out of four times, that sort of thing. Maybe avoiding some of the extremes of wild living. I want you to hear me wrongly here. The gospel does provide an ironclad guarantee that our eternity is secure. But it's not just an insurance policy, the gospel. It's so much more than that. So much richer, so much more exciting, so much more valuable than an insurance policy. So what is the gospel? How would you answer that question? What is the good news that Jesus proclaimed? I'm going to read a quote to you that we looked at in my Bible study group this week. It's long, 
But I think it's powerful, and I'd love you to concentrate as we work our way through this quote. It's on the screen behind me. These words are written by John Calvin. It's in a preface to a Bible translation that was written about the time that he was walking around. And I've taken these words and this translation from a book by Michael Gerd. Let me read it to you, and I hope this helps you just remember the goodness of the gospel. It says, Without the gospel, everything is useless and vain. Without the gospel, we are not Christians. Without the gospel, all riches is poverty, all wisdom folly before God, strength is weakness, and all the justice of man is under the condemnation of God. But by the knowledge of the gospel, we are made children of God, brothers of Jesus Christ, fellow townsmen with the saints, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, heirs of God with Jesus Christ, by whom the poor are made rich, the weak strong, the fools wise, the sinner justified, the desolate comforted, the doubting sure, and the slaves free. It is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. It follows that every good thing we could think or desire is to be found in this same Jesus Christ alone. For he was sold to buy us back, captive to deliver us, condemned to absolve us. He was made a curse for our blessing, a sin offering for our righteousness, marred that we may be made fair. He died for our life so that by him fury is made gentle, wrath appeased, darkness turned into light, fear reassured, despisal despised, debt cancelled, labour lightened, sadness made merry, misfortune made fortunate, difficulty easy, disorder ordered, division united, ignominy ennobled, rebellion subjected, intimidation intimidated. Ambush uncovered, assaults assailed, force forced back, combat combated, war warred against, vengeance avenged, torment tormented, damnation damned, the abyss sunk into the abyss, hell transfixed, death dead, morality made immortal. In short, mercy has swallowed up all misery and goodness all misfortune. Powerful words, aren't they? And if we capture that richness, if we delight in the gospel, how much more will we see the urgency of helping those who are harassed and helpless? If we capture this, if we believe this, if we see people who don't know Jesus like this, that's got to shape our compassion towards them. If we know the gospel this way, it's got to shape our ambition as well, doesn't it? See, despite whatever else we will have, we'll have kingdom ambition if this is how we know the gospel. So what do we do with all that? Well, Jesus gives us the answer in our passage in Matthew 9, doesn't he? He says, ask, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. You see the relationship here between mission and prayer. I think it's no accident that CMS have that model that they label pray, care, give, go. And it starts with prayer. And that's because ultimately mission is God's work. It's our task to pray. 
As another one of the commentators I read this week said, uh, said, he says, the church moves forward on its knees. And it's true, isn't it? Jesus asks us to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Will you join me now as we pray for those things together? Father God, we thank you that you are a God of abundant kindness. We ask that you would give us hearts that know the depths and the richness and the glory of your gospel. We thank you that mercy has swallowed up all misery and goodness all misfortune. Father, we thank you for the work of CMS and for the work of those who uh, bring your gospel to those who don't yet know you, both here in Adelaide and overseas. Father, we ask that you would help us to have ambitions to reach those who don't know you out of our compassion for them. Amen.